personality, a types of responses and propensities into a humanoid robot. If that sounds far out, you want to listen in on this episode. I have the creative director of Hanson Robotics, seen as one of the world's foremost humanoid robotics creators. I have their creative director, Stephen Vladimir Bukaj, who's on the phone or on the episode with me today on Tech Emergence, where he talks about just that. How do we hard program an actual personality into a humanoid robot? And in addition to that, we speak as to where humanoid robots might start to enter the public sphere outside of the world of special effects or just novelty and sci-fi interest. Where might human humanoid robotics actually have an application in the real world, in businesses and governments, etc., in the coming decades ahead? So we get a little bit of perspective on that as well, which is more than fascinating. So without further ado, we'll roll directly into today's episode. So, Stephen, before uh, we get into sort of where humanoid robotics uh, have, have sort of come to today and where they might take us in the future, I know that a lot of your work at Hanson Robotics uh, as creative director has to do with, to some degree, implementing personality into the actual robotic figures that you folks are working with. I know, you know, in a neuroscience perspective, very clearly personality encompasses ever so much and, and, and must be just massively complex. In terms of an artificial intelligence perspective um, and, and implementing that into a robot, how does one go about that? What is the personality of a machine? Sure. Um, so there's a, um, you know, a couple of ways of looking at it and you know, looking at it from a neuroscience perspective at a very low level one might be inclined to think about um, trying to figure out what functional clusters of neurons are encoding what part of a personality. And I think that can be a really excellent research project for that field. But the approach that we're taking at Hanson Robotics is to look more at the um, semantic, emotional, cognitive, functional aspects of a personality and hmm. how to encode those in a way that makes sense within our robotic system and our robotic software. So um, we're looking at how personality is expressed and responded to um, from a very low level to a very high level, but from a, um, a functional perspective more so than from a underlying architecture perspective. Hmm. Um, so the um, Basically, a personality is um, any entity, you know, an intelligent entity, expresses itself and responds to stimuli. Um, and, you know, at a less uh, a broad level, it's, um, you know, if, if someone is mean to the robot, is the robot mean back or yeah, does it turn yeah, the yeah, other yeah. cheek? That sort of thing. So, so, and now you can you can potentially in, encode different uh, types of responses to have as sort of the de facto in those different situations. So, with with one robot, maybe with the same physical form, you can have uh, a, a program that will run on one of them where it will, in general, aim to be friendly under all, all circumstances, and another where, under certain circumstances, you know, it's going to grimace at you and yell back at you if if a certain subset of, of events sort of happens. So you can almost program the propensities of, of the entity? Yeah, definitely. And programming responses versus propensities is sort of part of the iterative approach uh, that we're taking, where initially, early on, you might program 
the robot's responses. Yeah, which sounds very uh, linear, right? Like I do this, yeah, you do that. Exactly, and 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 create a personality that, that way, and it's very performative. It's very much like giving an accurate instructions for this character. When someone is mean to you, you will always be mean back, or you yep. will always be nice back. Um, and we're definitely uh, you know doing some of that in order to have the robot be expressive and lifelike. Yep. Um, in order to get people to interact with it, um, for it to feel alive, for people to be comfortable with its um, emotional responses and, and feel like they want to engage with it. Um, it's all about making people feel a certain way. Like yeah, that's, no, that's, that's what any personality is. Yep, yep. Um, propensities are much more interesting and are definitely more of the direction that we're going in the medium and longer term, where an emotion model for a robot would be more along the lines of um, weighted sets of possible response spaces that the robot can go into based on a stimulus and choose a means of expression within that emotional space based on a bunch of factors. So more like you or I, the robot would have a set of different considerations that it would take into account for every stimulus. What do I think of the person who is saying this or acting this way towards me in general? How have they been acting in the last minute? Um, how am I feeling today? How have other people treated me today? Um, so a, a variety of context around the immediate stimulus sets in an emotional frame for the robot so that it, it has these propensities that allow it to have a more complicated response, a more complicated consideration and response to each of the stimuli by building up uh, a model of what's happened to it in the recent in recent memory, what's happened to it over the long term with this particular yeah. person and in general, and build a emotional model of how different ways that it could respond to the stimulus and then pick from them based on how it's feeling. And so it's creating this more complex emotional model using propensities rather than pre-programmed responses. Got it. That's, that's definitely more of the direction that we're ultimately going. And, you know, the details can get very complicated. Of course, yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's essentially the idea being look at um, a, this, a, a multi-dimensional space of um, the robot's core personality, so its predispositions. This robot is generally friendly. Yep. This robot generally wants to engage with people. Um, look at its history with an individual, its history over the current period of time, mm -hmm. and its life experience. That becomes a huge network of that modulate the propensities and direct the robot to choose a response um, in a more complicated way than just a direct response. Got it. Okay. And and so this is this is it. Almost sounds to me like it's. It's layers of complexity to the point that it's almost, um, and this is probably not the best analogy, but I try to make analogies for myself in the audience, is, uh, is in chess, you know, if, uh, openings, you know, I do this, you do that. There's only so many reasonable variations of openings, uh, you know, for sane people. Um, but, but, you know, you start predicting move seven of white, and and it's really difficult to do. It sounds like what you folks are up to, at least, or, or at least the way you're explaining it theoretically, and the way you're applying it to the personalities of these robots, is that we can look at not only the general propensities of what this robot does in certain circumstances, but we can look at 
its current emotional state based on what's happened to it recently. If we can sort of program a layer of like, you know, recent emotion to this, uh, to this uh, robot's experience or to this entity's experience. And then we can look at its general interactions with this person. So per this person, then we refer to the person, we refer to its current emotion, and then we refer to its propensities. It sounds like there's these slices and layers that go on top of each other that, that then let kind of the pinball drop of sort of where it ends up pachinkoing at the end, um, that becomes a little bit more uh, spontaneous and, and genuine as opposed to uh, the direct response every time. It, it, feel, it felt to me like you were articulating layers. I don't know if that was an appropriate um, Absol analogy. Absolutely. It's definitely an appropriate analogy. There's definitely um, layers to these responses. Uh, you can think of it as layers. Um, you can think of them as interconnected networks of weighted responses with activation spreading, which you can think of as collections of neurons. Um, there's yeah. a lot of different ways of looking at it, but it basically comes down to um, stages of filtering and considering the stimuli, starting with the input filtering at the perceptual level, which humans do also, right? Like, yeah. I'm not paying attention to most of what else is going on in the room right now. Yep. And if my, you know, if my wife came home right now, she's my favorite person in the world, or my daughter, or my other favorite person in the world, I'd notice them. If a repairman came in, I probably wouldn't pay that much attention to him, so yep. there's filtering there and so on. Um, and uh, immediate responses, um, reflexes, and so on are sort of like a next layer. Like even, even if you and I are buds, if you came up and took a swing at me, my first response <laughs> you get would a be block. to flush back and yep, get yep. into fighting stance. And then <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, wait, maybe you're just kidding around. Yeah, then, yeah. Then there would be a considered response. Huh, interesting. Okay, so you have to factor that in as well. So these are these are all different. Again, you used much more technical terms, but these are all different layers that you factor in and say, okay, well, can this be another component to the personality, another facet of the decision-making process that activates differently in these different circumstances to the point where there's so many nuanced considerations that it no longer becomes predictable? Absolutely, and there's there's stages in that as well where you may get more than one response, just like in a person. Uh, to a stimulus. Uh, you may have an initial reflex and then upon further consideration a more considered response uh, and that would happen where activation goes as far as the reflex response triggers it but the information is still spreading in the network about what the perception was and what this context is and the situation and so on. Uh, and analyzing that and then coming up with a more considered response and those sort of stages of perception through cognition um, is a you know a, a, a semantic look at how other intelligent beings that we know, mainly us, yep. um, also dolphins and creatures yep. like that, uh, deal with stimuli and applying that to the robot um, as a theoretical model. But of course, uh, our implementation not being a, a low level neuronal model of a human-like brain, the, the implementation of how that's encoded in our system is different. So we're looking at the same uh, conceptual framework, the same basic ideas of filtering, the same basic models of person um, goals that are and are not satisfied and predispositions to how uh, one responds to goals that are and aren't satisfied and so on. Um, those kinds of cognitive models, uh, so those kinds of functional models, but in a different 
underlying framework than a neuronal brain model. Yep, yep. Um, but but again, kind of replicating that, and and it's it's curious, you know, because we only oh man, that's the, the delivery man. That's a little bit annoying, but anyway, um, the the it's curious because a lot of our inspiration seems to be pretty pretty kind of exclusively tied to. Um, you know, referencing humans. I mean, that's that's as good a reference as we have, I guess, at least as of right now. And of course, that's so much of what Hanson Robotics is up to, and also where where my next question takes us. Um, you've seen in the last, and and I, I uh, got to see a little bit of of some Android uh, action up close and personal at the the twenty forty five Congress uh, a couple of years ago back in New York City. You know, Hanson Robotics was there, and Ishiguro and some other folks that are into. Androids and, and sort of far along on those curves. You sort of seen the development in this field. I mean, you were at Pixar for a while. I mean, the 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 applications and special effects are there. Um, of course, there's aspirations for much kind of further applications of of sort of Android technology, whether it be you know Android nurses or you know fast food delivery folks or you know uh, mail delivery folks, like the guy that just showed up at my door not all that long ago. Um, <laughs> So, you know, uh, I, I hope he keeps his job and everything, but, you know, but there might be a robot that can do that. I'm just saying. So, you know, there might be a robot that can host a podcast better than me, um, but uh, maybe it doesn't need to be an Android unless we're on video. But, um, you know, where, where in the coming, I'm curious as to your thoughts, you know, right now a lot of us are familiar with uh, a little Honda robot that can walk up some stairs when it's got something on its back. Um, you know, a, a, a Asian-looking woman robot android that you can find on YouTube, and there's oodles of them, and... and it's kind of creepy, and they can kind of like sit and stand and, and talk a little bit, and and uh, and we're somewhat familiar with that. Hanson Robotics, if people have ever Googled Hanson Robotics, a lot of great uh, sort of entertaining um, applications of, of, you know, what what an entity is like when you're talking to it and facial expressions and things like that. Where, where might this take us in the coming 10 years? Are we still mostly going to be in movies. I realize I don't want to get too aggressive with our guesses, and I want you to be kind of frank from your own perspective. Where might we start to see more humanoid robots, the application of the physical form, the personality, etc.? Where might this sort of move more into the world in the next decade ahead? Sure. Um, I'll take a, a, a stab first at um, the, the past development and, sure. and what I've seen. Yeah, let's. Uh, sure. Uh, so I think that there's a couple of axes of really interesting development. One is... Um, the visual and tactile experience, um, both in digital characters at places like Pixar and in the look and feel has just gotten a lot better. Um, and for example, at Hanson, Hanson, we have a, a patented skin formulation that is a lot more lifelike in how it looks and feels. And this enables the Hanson robots to have more expressive facial features. Yep. So they don't feel as, as stiff and yeah. um, kind of weird as some of the other Android robots. Yeah, the, the, the uh, silicone skin. Yeah, what we call kind of the, the uncanny valley feel. Yeah, yeah. And even, you know, even if some people may still feel like any Android is in the uncanny valley, we're closer to out of it because the, the way that the skin responds is more lifelike and yep. it allows the expressions to feel less strained. Yep. Um, the, um, you know, walking robots have gotten a lot better. If you look at the DARPA challenge robots, bipedal walking robots are pretty impressive. You know, yeah. Pretty impressive these days. So there's a lot of, um, functionality for the robotic side, um, of androids that has come a long way in that time. And then on the artificial intelligence side, um, the, 
ability to do deep learning, um, tie things into a cloud and do very extensive um, data input and learning from that, whatever algorithms you're applying to, whether you're applying narrow AI algorithms, algorithms or deep AGI algorithms, having that um, data input has, has come a long way. Um, I mean, we were trying to do that back in the late 90s and early 2000s at WebMind and only getting so far. Yep. And now, you know, DeepMind and other projects like that have gotten very far and that data um, on the web is available to all of us and there's a lot of good corpuses and so on. So there's a lot of great input. And then on the algorithm side, um, there's just been a lot of advancement in the quality of the learning algorithms, um, you know, simply put, fewer false positives and fewer false negatives, uh, just in terms of, of how good they are. What hasn't gotten all the way there yet um, is tying all of the advances in individual areas of algorithm development into a fully intelligent system. And there's still a lot of work to be done in that area. Um, there recently was an announcement of um, a now robot um, beating a, uh, a a classic puzzle uh, of self awareness. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was big news. Yeah, that that robot was basically tuned to beat that particular puzzle. Yep. Right. So there's a lot of really interesting narrow algorithmic work that enables robots to do a lot more impressive things in terms of the world, interacting with people, um, understanding natural language, um, passing tests of their uh, impressiveness and their interactability and their human likeness, um, but tying all of that together into a fully intelligent autonomous system is definitely the direction that we're pushing and that we think is the area of most interest. Um, so there's still a lot to be done there. Oh, for sure. Are we are we going to get sort of, you know, are there any areas of, I mean, I'm sure there's folks out there right now who would say, well, 2025, I mean, you know, the singularity will be here. And I'm not going to inherently say that that's wrong either. I don't really front any of my own particular prognostications here at Tech Emergence. Um, but other folks are a little bit more pessimistic about sort of how far along we might be in 10 years. We're talking about bigger picture AGI, not even just sort of what's going on at, at Hanson Robotics. Um, in terms of where where ten years might get us, you know, it's it's brought us a little bit farther, and you'd kind of articulated that a bit. In the coming decade, where might we be? Where is there some traction where we might kind of see some 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 tangible differences in the world, some tangible applications that aren't here today? What what might some of those be? Sure, um, I think there's a few different areas that we could look at, and I'll start with um, kind of where we're going at Hanson, which is affective robotics, yeah, so yeah, robots yeah. that have emotional relationships with people, and, um, you know, I mean, people are going to be like, oh, do you mean sex bots? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some, some people might. That's, that's where people go, yeah. Yep, yep. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, I mean, entertainment applications are um, an obvious one. Um, our Sophia robot is in a movie. She just finished filming uh, last week. Um, she's going to be in a, a, a have a cameo role in a feature film, and we expect her to be doing, uh, and all of the Hanson Robotics to be doing more of that kind of work. Huh. Both, well, as, both in other, other interesting. people's and in our own. Curious. One of the reasons that I was brought on board at Hanson Robotics
context is not just my AI background, but my filmmaking background. Yeah. Um, but not just uh, filmed entertainment, but location-based entertainment. Obviously, a physical robot that can physically interact with people has a lot of interesting applications as, you know, at theme parks, trade shows, as a greeter at yeah, yeah, yeah. hotels and malls and all that sort of thing. Um, anywhere that um, ha- having a nice emotional relationship with a human is of value to the people who might be employing the robot. Yeah. Uh, uh, that naturally leads into um, educational and healthcare applications. And there was an interesting um, survey that I read in Japan a couple of weeks ago where a greater than 50% of the Japanese elderly population would prefer to be taken care of by a robot than a young Japanese person. Wow, you need, wh- wh- why I ponder to myself. They're, they're, they're ever so comfortable with it. And I had heard it was a previous podcast interview, actually, where I'd learned of, I believe it was sort of some origins of, and this could be completely bunk for all I know, but I haven't done my own research, but the, the origins of kind of Shintoism uh, have to do with a sort of belief of a uh, kind of a permeating consciousness that, that would it would also include sort of inanimate matter, and so that they're they're more potentially, you know, just as a culture and their belief system more comfortable with quote-unquote inanimate things being recognized as alive and having having that be a, a comfortable and, and and okay thing, so to speak. Um, I wonder why, fifty more than 50%, because that would not be the case in the U.S. from what I would guess. No, it wouldn't. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can't really say what all of the cultural underpinnings are, but one guess that I would hazard is Japan is ahead of the curve from the United States in terms of making cool robots. So I think that's true. There's just in the short term more acceptance of the fact that Japanese robotics companies have the capability to make something that would actually be able to perform the task. Yep. Um, and I think we're catching up in that area, but we're not really there yet. Not I mean, quite there. Robotics is, but the U.S. In general, as a whole, yeah, not yeah. as much of a focus. Uh, so in in the coming ten years, I mean, you mentioned hotels and things like that. You know. Might it be possible that in in uh, you know geez uh, ten years ten years ahead there there will be some locations where may, maybe this won't be a fully bipedal robot maybe it will but maybe it won't be fully bipedal robot but it'll be an upper body or torso they'll be able to greet uh, make monetary transactions maybe grab products off the shelf and hand them to people um, you know get get the keys for the hotel and hand them to people or things along these lines is it. Is it safe to say that maybe in the U.S. we're still a little far from that that being kind of socially kosher and, and digestible for, for folks, um, or, or or might might that be an actually reasonable application in, in some particular progressive areas in the coming ten years? Might we see android-like robotics there, or or in the next ten are we most likely just going to advance in sort of the um, entertainment world in terms of where the biggest steps forward in the next decade might be? I think that, um, uh, you know, hotels, high-end retail, um, healthcare, uh, but effective healthcare, like surgical robots are sort of like a whole other world. I'm talking about like elder companions, autistic companions, that sort of thing. Um, I think that we're definitely going to see, um, some robots in that, in those areas in Asia and in probably in some you know, technically progressive parts of the U.S., Silicon Valley, I'm sure, would find that interesting. Um, 
maybe New York and LA. Yep. Yep. Uh, so I think that there's definitely going to be robots in those fields within the next 10 years. I mean, in terms of things like, um, uh, theme parks, movies, trade shows, uh, hotels, they're already there and it's, they're just getting better. Um, the, you know, there's Japanese hotels, a couple that have greeter robots already. Um, huh, know, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. That's great. I, <laughs> I wonder, I wonder how far along that'll be in 10 years, you know, I mean that, that, uh, Maybe there will be pretty realistic applications there. Maybe they won't even have front desk staffs at you know some some larger than expected percentage of Japanese hotels. If it, we're talking about grabbing keys and greeting folks and asking if things are going okay, and you know, I mean, geez, maybe maybe that whole gig will be sort of taken over by then. Yeah, and I think um, the um, in terms of of you know, taking people's jobs and so on. There's also the the way the cost of the robot versus the benefit for particular tasks. Yep. And, you know, at least right now, um, you know, uh, location-based entertainment, trade shows, hotels, retail, it's more the cool factor. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's cool that we have a robot. That's really awesome. Look how capable it is. Look how endearing it Novelty. is. Novelty. hang out Novelty, yeah. Don't you want everyone. to get a picture? Yeah. Yep. Um, in terms of uh, really functional robots um, doing tasks, and not to say that affective robotics is not important or oh, yeah, of course, I, yeah. I think I think the entertainment applications, being an entertainment person, are going to be awesome. And I also think that you know, having married into a healthcare family, that the affective healthcare um, applications are going to be in some cases pretty large as well, life changing. Yeah. Yep. Um, particularly for autistic care and elder care, which are um, areas that, sad to say, humans have not really always shown their best side. Yeah. Um, so, you know, with, with some of the reports of how elders and autistic people have been treated by, particularly in institutional settings, yeah. I would rather have a robot looking after my loved ones than an unfortunate number of the people who have been exposed in these areas, which is not to say everyone in that field is, there's lots of great people in that field, but, um, you know, there's, there seems to be some, yeah, there's certainly a need for more. Seems to be a a dark, a darker human touch sometimes than we would really want. Yeah. Um, so I think those things are all going to be very important, but there's also, um, other areas of robotics, the DARPA challenge robots, you know, robot rescue personnel, Robot bomb disposal is already a big thing. Autonomous robot bomb disposal could separate the troops even further from. Yeah. They could clear minefields on their own. Yep. Autonomous rescue robots could go into super dangerous situations. Uh, what if we could have sent um, autonomous robots into Fukushima instead of workers? Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of talk about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that on the you know, androids really are about affective robotics. They're about a relationship between the person and the robotic be- robot because an android is designed to relate to people. That is its function. Its function is to be expressive and emotional in a way that enables it to develop an emotional rapport with the human. Otherwise, there's no real reason to make it look human-like. Yep. Um, but whether they're bipedal, quadrupedal, tracked, 
flying um, robots that perform dangerous tasks, I think, are definitely part of the next 10 years. Got it. Okay, I, yeah. Anyone who, uh, who has um, people to rescue, fires to fight, yep. so on, where human lives are put at risk, um, if a robot can be developed that can perform those tasks at a high level of skill, there's going to be great demand for this. Yep, and, and it saves lives. And maybe, maybe in the coming ten, you know, the DARPA challenge will will look like real super athletes out there, at least for certain tasks. You know, and, and maybe maybe some kind of rescue scenarios will be able to be solved by by those kind of robots. So, so you think maybe between kind of the the brunt of, of the dollars and the effort being poured into there, that that maybe that's a space where we could see some pretty serious jumps in the next decade potentially. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to see jumps in both. Um, those types of, you know, um, high capacity task robots and yep. also effective Android robots, but I think they're going to be doing different things. Got it. Um, yeah, and then that makes sense, of course. They're they're built to do different things in many in many regards. So, um, and and I'll I'll certainly make sure that I I keep my own eye on what's going on at at, at Hanson in the future. I realize we're coming right up on time, and anybody who's listening in right now, if you haven't you know, gone on YouTube and typed in Hanson Robotics. I mean, as far as the United States goes, they're, they're sort of creme de la creme at present. Um, and uh, very, very interesting work there. Again, you know, one of the reasons we had Stephen on board was because he's creative director there and was able to give us some great insights today. Stephen, I want to say a big thanks for being able to, to take the time and, and share some of your insights here on Tech Emergence. Yeah, absolutely. Just a little, uh, a little shout out to uh, Hong Kong. Um, Hanson Robotics is actually now uh, headquartered in Hong Kong. Oh wow! In the U.S. as well, and it's actually been a great relationship for Hanson to to be in Hong Kong and be close to the manufacturing center and the support of the Hong Kong Science Park. So Hanson is now uh, definitely a at least a two co country operation. Go, man! Headquartered out there. We we lost you. We lost you, Stephen. <laughs> we lost it. Well, you know, J Japan just Japan has the jump on so much of that, but I I guess we'll. Uh, We'll hopefully be able to share. Yeah, I don't really care much about the credit. I say that I say that in jest. But yeah, shout out to Hong Kong indeed. So Stephen, again, thanks thanks for being here on the show. Great, thanks for having me. And that wraps up this episode on the Tech Emergence podcast. Thanks for being here, and remember to subscribe on iTunes to stay on top of the latest news breaks, researcher perspectives, and entrepreneur interviews in artificial intelligence, neurotechnology and more. And we want to hear from you as well, so be sure to leave a review on iTunes, which are always appreciated, or contact us directly at info at techemergence.com. And remember, all of our entrepreneur interviews and interviews with top researchers from around the world, from Stanford to Oxford and beyond, can be found right on our main site at techemergence.com. Remember to sign up for the newsletter while you're there. So with the best of intentions for a brilliant future, this is Dan Figella signing off, and I'll see you next week.